this point, I am so excited uh, to be with you this morning and um, glad I'm able to preach in a polo shirt. Amen. And not a certain tie. Glory to God. Amen. So we thank God for freedom in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Uh, as you heard, my name is Michael Thomas. Uh, me and my wife and our three children uh, have been a part of New Community since December. Um, we're, we just thank God for being here. It was, uh, it was a funny kind of uh, process and how we got here uh, when we came and, and visited. Uh, my wife and I, uh, when we met up after the first service, you know, we had a family meeting uh, and we talked about the church and, and me and my wife had shared that we loved the preaching and the worship and just the, the, the feeling at home from all the people. Um, our oldest son, uh, who's 10 years old, about to be 11 in a couple of weeks, uh, y'all pray for Jeremiah. He thinks he's deep at times. So he said, you know, he really loved the children's ministry. He felt he learned something. Amen. That was funny to hear from a 10-year-old. Uh, and, 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 and my, uh, my daughter, who is eight, and my youngest boy, who is uh, five, they said they love the treats they get. And so they were sold. They said, Jesus is here because we get graham crackers and, and goldfish. Amen. And so uh, because of that, new community has been our home since December, but uh, we're just excited to be here, and, uh, and I'm excited to be with you uh, on this morning. Can you shout amen? <laughs> this morning, uh, we'll be talking about getting the victory uh, through prayer as we continue in our series called Practices. How many of y'all been blessed so far this month in our series in Practices? I know I have, um, and today we're going to zero in on the practice of prayer. And, and, and as we begin to get started, I think it's important that we understand that first and foremost about prayer, that it should be a practice, something that we do on a consistent basis. Um, prayer, in all honesty, is too powerful of a tool to be regulated to an occasion, but it must be something that we practice on a consistent basis. And so today, our text is found in Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at the first uh, eight verses. Um, but for our time together, we're literally going to be throughout this entire chapter. And I encourage you um, in, your, in your reading time that you get a chance to read the entire uh, chapter of Acts uh, 10. But for our time together, we're going to highlight the first uh, eight verses. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version uh, for the sake of clarity. And the Bible says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Can you shout amen? Getting the victory through prayer. Um, the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of our testimony. And so, if you would indulge me, I feel the need to testify uh, as I set the tone of what it means to get the victory through prayer. Um, this coming September, uh, me and my wife will be married for 12 years. Amen. And she still likes me. That's the miracle. Praise the Lord. 
be 12 years, and, and, and but prior to that, uh, in, my, in my late teens, believe it or not, uh, as, as Pastor Mike mentioned, uh, me and his wife Don grew up at a church, uh, Salem Baptist Church, uh, in our teenage years. Well, in our late teens, um, in my early 20s, it seemed like all of my friends were getting married except for me, uh, even my ugly friends. Yeah, come on, you know you got some too. Just keep looking at me. Won't nobody know you may be sitting next to him. Amen. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But if I could just be honest and transparent, you know, you start noticing. I'm like, God, you hooked him up? He, he don't even have a job. I mean, how's, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all pray for me. I wasn't spiritually mature where I am today uh, back then. So y'all just have to pray for a brother. I'm just trying to be honest and dump my business to my family. Amen. But, um, you know, I was a little frustrated with God, Pastor Mike, that it seemed like everybody was getting married. Every summer I was in somebody else's wedding, spending more money on a tuxedo, and it wasn't even for my wedding. Have I got any real people in the building? All right. And I'll never forget as I was lamenting to God one day, I was like, God, you know, you know, man, everybody getting married but me and I want to be with somebody. I'll never forget, y'all. I promise you I'm not exaggerating. I'll never forget I heard God like he was in stereo. And he said to me, Mike, you want me to give you a helpmate, huh? And I said, yes, Lord, hook a brother up in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'll never forget the Lord said to me, why would I give you a helpmate? and you don't even know what you need help with. Wow. How many of y'all know I felt this big? God said, why would I give you someone to lead and you yourself don't even know where you're going? He said, just stick with me and we'll see about a wife down the road. And so at that point, you all, something very cognitive went off in my mind. And I understood, and as I tried to believe by faith that one day God would surely give me the girl of my dreams, God would one day surely allow me to meet someone who would be my best friend and we would spend the rest of our lives together, I began to understand at that moment that whoever this wonderful woman is, surely she is already alive and somewhere on God's green earth. So I began to pray for a woman I had not yet met because I was believing by faith that if this thing was going to happen, that I was going to continue to pray a specific kind of prayer. And I would literally pray, Lord, I pray for her today. I pray for her family. Pray that they're blessed. I pray that you will continue to prepare her for me, continue to prepare me for her in Jesus' name. Amen. And I prayed that prayer for two years. And I believe the result of that prayer is now sitting in the sanctuary today. Hey, baby, how you doing? Hallelujah. Yeah, my game is strong. My game is strong. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, family, prayer is essential if I expect to be victorious and successful in life. And you all today, this brother named Cornelius we see in Acts chapter 10 serves as our example of a person who because of prayer had his life and the lives of those connected to him forever changed for the better. You all, if I could be honest with you, prayer is a powerful practice because it not only yields us results, but it builds the believer through relationship with God. Prayer, it not only gives us what we ask for, it not only yields results, but it actually builds the believer through relationship with God. A great uh, theologian named John MacArthur in the book called Alone with God 
I found this very powerful quote. It says, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Isn't that wonderful? What a privilege it is to know that through prayer we can actually be face to face with God. It is our highest activity. This summer, uh, as you may have read in your bulletin, I am uh, about to enter into my last year uh, of of graduate school at North Park Theological Seminary, uh, working on my master's of divinity degree. Y'all pray for a brother. Amen. Uh, Seminary is no joke. Amen. And I thank God it's my last year. Glory to God. But uh, this summer, as a part of my degree, um, I am serving as an intern at Evanston Hospital, serving as a chaplain. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, some days when you go in, you literally feel like you're on an episode of ER. I mean, it's just all kind of crazy stuff happening. There was a particular uh, senior uh, in the hospital that that really uh, touched my heart um, as I would spend uh, several days ministering with her, uh, providing pastoral cares with her. And when I first met her, uh, she was uh, an admitted Christian, and uh, she loved the Lord, but she was struggling in her faith because she was facing the realization that she had to get her leg amputated. And if you could be honest, there will be some times in your life when you face some situations that you don't feel like saying, I'm blessed and highly favored. There'll be some situations in your life sometimes, life will throw you a curveball that will go oops upside your head and literally knock the wind out of you. Have I got any real people in the building? And so you all, this woman was struggling with her faith and we spent time talking. And one of the only things I could find to encourage her with was to find a a strength through the word of God and to find strength in praying with God. That was on a Friday. I came back to her on the day of her surgery on that Monday. And the woman I talked to on Friday was a different woman I saw on Monday. When I got with her on Monday, she had accepted the reality of her situation, gave God praise that there was still a solution that would allow her to have life. And she said she found that strength as she spent consistent time in prayer with the Father. People are at their best when they find themselves face to face with God. You all, and and we can be honest, when we think about prayer, And even in the Big C Church, when we think about prayer, there are many presuppositions that people have when approaching the conversation of prayer. For some people, you may have never even thought or really given any thought to what prayer is and what it means to have a prayer life in in my Christian journey. For some people, it may not be anything more than an empty ritual, that I'm just speaking out words out in the air, don't know if God is really hearing me. Well, you all, I think it's important as we, before we go into diving into Cornelius's example and understanding how we get the victory through prayer, that it is essential for us to clearly articulate what it means to practice prayer. Prayer, you all, is simply communicating with God. It's not nothing deep. It's not nothing that you need to get a seminary degree with. You don't have to use big and deep words to talk to God. It's simply communicating with God. Amen. Prayer is communicating with God, talking to God, but also letting God talk back to you. I don't know about you, but it would be a pretty weird thing if you're on a phone conversation with someone and yet you do all the talking and hang up. Would seem kind of weird, wouldn't it? But prayer is not only us giving our petitions or communicating with God, but also allowing God to talk back to us. Prayer, you all, is speaking to God versus speaking about God. 
I think a lot of people have no problem talking about God as if he's other or, or as if he's some subject matter that is a little different. But it's another thing when you're talking about doing something that means speaking directly to God versus speaking about God. It expresses prayer. It expresses what is clearly believed about God and serves to affect a personal relationship that exists between God and his people. I love that prayer in a way, really, if you think about it, it really exposes what you really believe about God. When you pray, are you able to pray the kind of things that if you told other people, they would think you're crazy? Or do you pray prayers that you deep down believe that you can do within your own power? and in your own might. What does your prayers reveal to you about what you believe about God? And then you all, why is prayer so important at practice? I'm glad you asked. Prayer, number one, is important for us to practice because Christ modeled what it means to have a prayer life. Christ modeled it. One of the things that you can see that is most consistent throughout the Gospels, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to the point where he died on the cross, the bookmarks of that life was that it started with prayer and it ended with prayer. And all throughout his life, you would see Jesus consistently praying. There were even times where the Bible said the people were getting on Jesus' last nerve and he had to go somewhere by himself to pray. I'm paraphrasing, by the way, amen. And I want to pause right there and remind some people that there are going to be some times where you can't hang around this person, you can't hang around that person. There are going to be some times in your life where you're going to have to just be you and God all by yourself in prayer. But Christ modeled it for us and for a person like Jesus Christ, who was absolutely perfect, who was absolutely flawless, who had no sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. If Christ had a prayer life, who are we? to think we don't need to pray. Can I just keep it real this morning? Who are we? It's like, it's like one of the greatest things Phil Jackson ever said when he coached the Bulls. He said it was the easiest job he had in coaching the other players because Michael Jordan was the first person to practice and the last one to leave. Who are you going to be coming off the bench thinking that you don't need to practice like Michael Jordan and he's the greatest player of all times? Here's Jesus, the greatest player of all times. If he is praying, who are we to think we don't need to pray? You all, it is in prayer that we grow our relationship in God. I don't care what kind of relationships you have with people. I would challenge the validity of the sincerity of that relationship if you could tell me you really have a good relationship with someone, yet you never talk to them. It grows our relationship with God. But it is also in prayer that we seek God for our needs and for the needs of others. It is in prayer that we seek God for our needs and for the needs of others. The other day, I got a text message from a good friend of mine who was asking uh, for prayer as he and his wife are going through a very uh, a traumatic season with their youngest son, going through some medical issues. He, he was very candid and, and shared with me, hey man, I need you to pray for us. And it is in prayer that we don't just be selfish and go to God for what I want or go to God for what I need, but it is in prayer that we go on the needs of others and on the behalf of others. But it is also in prayer that we ask God for direction. Can we be honest this morning and admit there are some situations you don't know what choice to make? You don't know which way to go. There are going to be times in your life where you need to ask yourself, should I um, have a relationship with this person or should I accept this deal or should I accept this job offer? There are going to be times in your life where if we could be honest, we need direction from God. 
We have a GPS in our car and I love it because it helps me to get to the places that I need to go to. But I have to be honest with you this morning. I don't just need a global positioning system. I need God's positioning system. I need a spiritual GPS at times to help me navigate this thing called life. Amen. And you can sit there like you don't know what I'm talking about, but I guarantee you, you keep on living. There's going to be some situations in your life where you're going to need to God to say, Lord, help me make the right decision. What direction do I need to take? But you all, it is also in prayer, and I love this. It is also in prayer where we thank God for his goodness. Is there anybody in the building who knows that we serve a great God, that we serve a good God? He is a good God. It is in prayer that we thank him that we have food on the table. It is in prayer that we thank God there's a roof over our heads. It is in prayer that we thank God that we have the activity of our limbs. Let me, let me just do a little test in the building this morning. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Do you know God gave you that breath? Do you know you did not do that? It is in prayer that we thank him for the activity of our limbs, that we have breath in our body. It is in prayer that we thank him for his goodness. It is in prayer that we thank him that it took you 15 minutes to decide what were you going to wear to church today. It is in prayer that we thank God that we have AC at home. Amen. (laughs) Have I got some real people in the building? We need to thank God for his goodness. Amen. The last time I checked the word, it said that we were created for his pleasure. He is not obligated in any shape, form, or fashion to keep us around. It is his goodness that we live the way we live, that we are able to do what we do. And it is in prayer that we thank him for his goodness. I know that there's some parents in the building, but it'll be a sad day for my children. If I ever get the inclination, they are not grateful for the life that my wife and I provide for them. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. You hear me? That's right. I got an amen right here from another daddy. That's right. My wife stopped me last year. No joke. I wanted to, you know what I wanted to get my kids for Christmas? A copy of all the bills stand paid. (laughs) Amen. That's your Christmas gift. Now go on somewhere. Every now and then, Jeremiah get out of order. When it's cold outside, I take him outside. I'm like, it's cold out here, ain't it? Come on back in the house. You like that heat, don't you? I go on somewhere and sit down. Amen, somebody. Listen, you better thank God for his goodness. You hear me? I almost catch a Holy Ghost shout at the grocery store. I'm like, you see all the stuff we got in our cart? God is good. You hear me? God, okay, maybe it's just me. All right. But you all... Let's, let's, let's now shift gears and deal with the history of prayer from the Bible standpoint. The practice of prayer, first of all, started in Judaism, primarily in the Old Testament, spilling over into the New Testament, uh, primarily up into the book of Acts. But essentially in the Old Testament, we see a practice of prayer in Judaism. Uh, three crucial things that we need to understand uh, about, about prayer um, in Judaism is that you prayed three times a day, uh, preferably in the morning, the noon, or the evening. And you did these prayers uh, primarily at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Number two, if you were not at the temple or you were not able to be at the temple, um, at those designated times of prayer, you would face the direction of Jerusalem or the temple when you had your prayer time. If we could look at Daniel chapter 6, 
uh, verse 10, it kind of give us uh, um, a clarity on, on this history of prayer. 6 verse 10, it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, before his God, and as he had done previously. Now, before we go to Acts chapter 3, I think I need to give a little uh, uh, qualification of Daniel 6.10. What's happening here in Daniel 6.10, Daniel, uh, uh, it was a part of the children of Israel that were captured uh, uh, into, um, into uh, Babylonian capture, and, and now he is serving in a political position um, in, a, in a godless culture. He is still remaining to be a godly man in a godless culture, and God has given him major favor um, in a political position he has in Babylon. And there arose, you know, whenever God's people are doing good, there's going to be some haters somewhere in the building. And Daniel had a bunch of haters. They were drinking haterade, not gatorade. They was uh, drinking, they was uh, riding in hate mobiles, living in hate wood estates, eating hate hoagies. Amen. They were jealous of Daniel. The Bible says, provoke this verse, that they couldn't find anything wrong with him. And so they cook up this scheme to go to the king and say, hey, you should make a decree that nobody can pray to any God but to yours. But look at the swagger on Daniel. He says he still commits to praying, even though his life would be on the line. Now, I don't know about you, but that don't sound like something you would do if it was a practice that you could just let go of. I don't know about you. I wouldn't put my life on the line for something that wasn't important. But Daniel shows us that he was willing to put his life on the line because of the importance of prayer. And in Acts 3 and 1, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer about the ninth hour. So even you see in Acts, they were still practicing prayer from a, Ju- from, from a Judaism uh, standpoint and, 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 and reference as they would still go to the temple to pray at those designated times. Well, you all, this was based on an injunction made by King Solomon at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And the temple, this is what I love, the temple represented the presence of God. And prayer was a practice that was intrinsically linked to being in the presence of God. Do you see that? So it's important that we understand prayer and it's all of its nuances literally is a practice that positions us to be in the presence of God. And prayer was a non-negotiable ritual to be done both privately and corporately. Now, as we look at the, at the progress of prayer. We now see prayer, uh, the practice of prayer in the early church or amongst Christians. In Acts 2 verse 42, the Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You all, although prayer is still practiced in the temple from a Judaism standpoint, we see here that prayer is also done in homes. So here is the, the, the first church, the early church, and the Bible talks about how they got together in fellowship. And isn't it interesting that they define fellowship as eating together and praying together? Eating together, breaking bread, having fellowship, meeting up at Starbucks, going out to eat, hanging out, and praying together with this family. Amen the church family. Fellowship was breaking bread and praying together. So essentially, prayer has shifted from being more ritual to more relational. And yet, both in Judaism and the early church, prayer is connected to being in the presence of God, and it is done consistently, and prayer is practiced in both corporate 
in private settings. You all, prayer has a great history of being beneficial. And throughout the Bible, we see many of those benefits on display. In Isaiah 58 verse 9, the Bible tells us that God will answer your prayers. Isn't that good news? In 2 Chronicles 7 verse 24, the Bible tells us that humility and prayer opens access to God's power and presence. James chapter 5 verse 16, the Bible tells us that healing comes as a result of prayer. Proverbs 15 verse 8, the Bible tells us that praying pleases God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that prayer is the conduit for grace. Psalms 91 verse 15, the Bible tells us that those who pray will have God with them. Genesis chapter 19 verses 19 through 21, the Bible shows us that because Lot prayed, he was delivered from destruction. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse number 27, the Bible shows us that because a sister named Hannah prayed, God blessed her with a child. First Kings chapter 3, the Bible shows us that because Solomon prayed, he became the wisest person on the planet. Second Kings chapter 20, the Bible shows us that because Hezekiah prayed, God added 15 years to his life. Luke chapter 18, the Bible shows us that because a blind man prayed, he received sight. Acts chapter 16, the Bible shows us that because Paul and Silas pray, they were free from bondage. Mike, what are you doing? Why did you go through all those scriptures like that? I'm glad you asked me. The reason why I went through those scriptures is because I want to show you that there are benefits from praying. And all I'm trying to say is no matter your situation, no matter your struggle, no matter what you're facing, prayer still works. Give them a praise in the building. Hallelujah. Prayer still works. And for our time together, I want to highlight Cornelius and three benefits that this brother received as a result of practicing prayer. Can you shout amen? Um, chapter 10 in Acts, what's going on here? Even though Cornelius is our main character in chapter 10, Cornelius is the one who's highlighted here. This chapter also shows us the continuation of the ministry of the Apostle Peter. We all know the story. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends back into heaven. Jesus completed his work. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Is there anybody glad to know you serve a risen Savior this morning? Amen. He rose from the dead. He was ascending into heaven. He told his disciples, uh, uh, don't get it twisted. Don't be shocked. This is what was supposed to happen, but the Holy Ghost will come upon you and it will give you power. And so Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples go, as the Bible says, into the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends, the Bible says, like cloaks of fire, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And those other tongues were referring to different and various languages. Amen. And so the birth of the church starts. The Bible says Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon, and over 3,000 souls were added to the church off of one message. How many of y'all know that was some show enough preaching? That was some show enough preaching. Amen. And so uh, Peter uh, and, the, and the apostles now are building the church. The church is going like crazy. There are massive healings and raisings from the dead. And here we find ourselves in chapter 10, and this brother named Cornelius is highlighted. And Cornelius is seeking to have a relationship with God through his actions and prayer. What we know through the text is that Cornelius observed at least two out of three of the general acts of Jewish piety. Those three acts were prayer, 
almsgiving or giving to the poor and fasting. And what we know from the text is that Cornelius at least um, uh, practiced three, uh, two out of three of those, which was almsgiving and prayer. And you all, uh, this shows a desire from Cornelius to follow God. And what's interesting is this is possibly from the effects of the, of the missional endeavors of the early church movement. As a centurion, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but as a centurion, his role was amongst the people. And it is, it is easy to surmise that, that he probably got connected to this, this Christianity and the early church through him being able to visibly see the effects of his missional endeavors throughout the city. Um, Cornelius, as I mentioned, was a centurion in the Roman army, which means he oversaw 100 soldiers. And in this case, these soldiers were recruited from Italy. So this man had influence and power. If Cornelius was around today, he would be our, our, our uh, superintendent, our police chief, our superintendent. He was the man. You understand? He had power. He was politically connected. He was wealthy. He was a baller and a shot caller. He was the man. Cornelius had it going on. Cornelius was the kind of guy he gave to the poor and everybody liked him. If Cornelius pulled up to the drive through a Chick-fil-A and saw someone asking for $2, he would not only give him $2, he would hook him up with a number one extra Polynesian sauce. Amen. <laughs> Can you tell I'm hungry? Glory to God. <laughs> he was a great guy. If Cornelius were here today in our context, in the terms of church, he probably wouldn't go to church every day, but he would be known as I like to call a CME member. He went to church on Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter. He was a CME member, you understand. He, he was a good, he was a good guy. The world, based on what we know about Cornelius, would categorize him as a good person. However, what I love about this story is that Cornelius, through seeking to be a part of the family of God, shows that he realizes that being a good person isn't synonymous with having a relationship with God. Think about that. If being a good person was all he needed to do, there would be no need for him, there would be no motivation for him to pray to have a deeper relationship with God. Amen? And that's what I love about this story, is that he still wants more. He wants a sincere relationship with God. He was a man, the Bible says, who prayed always, which says he took his needs to God. Can I ask you something for a second? When you are facing some trials and some situations, where do you take them? Bible says this brother took his needs to God. Some people take their needs to the bar and talk to Reverend Cavassier and Prophetess Alizé and Deacon Tangeray. Yeah, just keep looking at me. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all, you know, church folk are funny. I like they ain't heard of none of this stuff. What is he referring to? Is that a part of communion? <laughs> but, but seriously, some people take their needs to drugs. Some people, sometimes even more dangerously, take their needs to people who are just as messed up as you are and will give you the wrong advice. But I love how Cornelius, the Bible shows us that he took his needs to God. Where do you take your needs? In verse 2 in Acts 10, the word prayed here in the Greek is the Greek word diomai. Say that, diomai. Diomai. Hey, you know some Greek. You can use that. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Diomai. It's a Greek word that essentially means to pray 
for a particular need because you recognize you lack something you can't get on your own. Bible says that this brother is praying because he needs a relationship with God. And I don't care who you are today. I don't care how many letters you got behind your name. I don't care what kind of position you got or how much money you got in your bank account or what connections and relationships you have. There will be times in your life where you will face situations that you will just have to be honest and say, this looks like a job for Superman. And nobody and nothing I got can get me out of this. Only God can help me out of this situation. Can you shout amen? And so the angel comes to Cornelius in verse 4 and tells him that God has heard your constant prayers and receives them and gives him instructions on what he needs to do next. In other words, God moves on Cornelius' behalf. Watch this because Cornelius prayed specific prayers on a consistent basis. The practice of prayer was a part of his everyday life. Cornelius' solution, the Bible tells us, is now locked up in getting this brother named Peter, the apostle Peter, to come to his house and preach the gospel. So God deals with Peter and prepares him to go with men that are being sent to him from Cornelius. Now, this is also important. That's why I want to encourage you to read this entire chapter when you get a chance. So the Bible shows us that as God sends the angel to Cornelius after he prayed, lets him know that you need to send men to go get Peter to come to your house and preach the gospel. Cornelius says, okay, he sends the men on his way. While they're going, God then has to go deal with Peter. Now, you may be asking, what did God have to deal with Peter for? God had to deal with Peter because Peter at this point did not really uh, uh, understand that the Holy Spirit was open to more than just the Jews. And Cornelius was not a Jew. So the Bible tells us, so here it is, uh, the Bible says Peter falls into a trance. He has his own vision from God. The Bible says that he's hungry. And so he has this, this vision of this massive white blanket, this picnic blanket, if you will, and there's all kind of meat on the blanket. And God says, pick what you want, prepare it and eat. Peter in the vision says, hold on, Lord, I'm hungry, but uh, you know Jewish law, and there's some meat on here. We're not obligated to eat. Peter calls it common and unclean. God responds to him and lets him know, I made it all. So don't call what I've made common and unclean. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to know that the miracle working power of the cross was not exclusively limited to the Jews. I'm glad that it was not only for the Jews, but it was for my brother from the south side of Chicago. Aren't you glad that the gospel and the good news is for everybody and that we're not common and unclean, but we're all invited to be in the family of God. Hallelujah. And so Peter comes to Cornelius preaches the gospel, and Cornelius and his entire household got connected to God as believers. Wow. So Cornelius, watch this, you all, went from being just a good guy who was not in God's family to getting saved, being the reason why others got saved and got connected to God, all because of the power of prayer. In other words, Cornelius began to live in victory because he got connected to God and let God guide his life. And the Bible essentially tells us that this all happened because he prayed. Mm. This should tell us that prayer is a powerful tool to use, and it is one the enemy does not want us to tap into. Can I be honest with you? If there is any practice that the devil don't want us to do, it's prayer. Let me, let me ask you something. Isn't it funny how you can be up 
for anything, but as soon as you get ready to read your Bible or to pray, you get sleepy. Come on, I know that ain't just me that that happened to. You know, yeah, amen. Hey, take, keep it real, brother. Amen. You could be up all night long on Facebook, doing whatever, but you pray for five minutes and you start getting tired like you done worked two shifts and overtime. Come on, y'all. Come on. Let's keep it real. You know how I go. You be like, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you show been good. <laughs> and then you wake up talking about, I was in deep intercession. I was in deep, deep prayer. <laughs> it's a powerful tool, family, and the enemy doesn't want us to use it. But let's shift back to Cornelius. Let's look at these three things that he gets as a result of prayer. The first thing he gets is a response. He gets a response. Verse 30 and 31 of chapter 10, the Bible says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. You all, because Cornelius prayed, he received a response, number one. He received a response. Don't you hate it when you send somebody a message and they don't respond? Or when they respond, it's too late. It's like, don't even call me back now. I mean, I done figured it out. Is that, is that just me? That's a pet peeve of mine. You know, I didn't left you a detailed message. I didn't cry and snotted on your voicemail. Asked you to call me back. And then you call me next month talking about what's going on. But you all, next point, we can be assured that when we pray, we can be confident that God will respond. It's one of the first things I love about this story is the simple fact that this brother prayed earnestly and God responded. And you all, I have never seen anywhere in the Bible, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I have never seen anywhere in the Bible where people sincerely sought after God and prayed and God never responded. Now, it doesn't always mean you're going to get the answer you want. Amen. Sometimes God will tell you no. But if you live long enough, you will thank God he said no. Has anybody ever been there before? God, I'm so glad you told me not to talk to that person. Amen, somebody. But the bottom line is God will always respond. And it should build our confidence to know that when we reach for God, he will reach back for us. Can you shout amen? He received a response. The next thing Cornelius got when he prayed was a vision. He got a vision. In verse 3 of chapter 10, the Bible says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. But then also in verse 9, as I told you about Peter, the Bible says the next day as they were on their journey approaching the city, those are the men that Cornelius sent to Peter. The Bible says at that time, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw or received the vision from the heavens. And they opened up and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. It's amazing that both Peter and Cornelius, totally separate kind of people, in totally separate geographical locations. But the common denominator is that when they prayed, they received a vision from God. You all, it's something about prayer 
that God deemed as an appropriate environment to show people something to go after. And you all, because you don't ever hear about people who was in a club talking about they got a vision from God, do you? You, you ain't never heard nobody saying, you know, I was in a club last night. You know, and the Lord just spoke to me. I don't think you've ever heard that testimony. It's something about the environment of prayer that seems a conducive kind of atmosphere that God shows us something to go after. You all, it is in prayer where we can see what the eyes cannot see. It is in prayer that we can see what the eyes cannot see. You all, and, and, and it was the vision. Also, it also came with instructions, and Cornelius and Peter were obedient to following those instructions so that the vision could come to pass. But you all, Cornelius, when he prayed, he not only received a response, he not only received a vision, but last but certainly not least, Cornelius received a blessing. Can you shout amen? He received a blessing. Verse number 44 in Acts 10, the Bible says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Family, because Cornelius prayed, Peter preached the gospel, and Cornelius and everyone in the house, the Bible says, got saved and received the Holy Spirit. How many know you can't get a bigger blessing than that? He got saved and received the Holy Spirit. Cornelius went from a good man to a victorious believer who had the Holy Spirit now living on the inside of him. And family, I want you to also notice how it was that because Cornelius prayed, others were able to benefit from the blessing. I wonder how many people in our circle of influence or in our families have blessings on hold because they're waiting for us to start praying. How many lives can we impact when we start consistently doing a practice of prayer and watching God supernaturally move in our lives and on the benefit of others? Because this one brother prayed, a whole household got empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you all, at the end of the day, prayer serves as the process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. Prayer serves as the process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. Prayer serves as the process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. I've been up here for quite a long time, and if you didn't hear anything I've said, I hope you hear that prayer serves as the process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. I don't know if you got anything from what I said today, but I pray that you understand that prayer serves as a process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. I hope it plays like a broken record in your mind after church today that you know that prayer serves as a process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. To help you understand that prayer serves as a process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory, I want to break it down like this. Has anybody ever heard of the Underground Railroad? Have you heard of that? Amen. It's a part of black history, the Underground Railroad. It was led by a major woman of God named Harriet Tubman. And the Underground Railroad, to me, is the perfect example of how prayer serves as a process from which one can go from living in defeat to living in victory. What was the Underground Railroad? The Underground Railroad was a process where slaves who were living life in defeat went through a process behind the scenes, and when they got to the other side of the process, their lives were now living in victory from what 
once they were living in defeat. I don't think you hear me. Here's how it works. The Bible says when you pray, don't pray out loud and don't pray in public saying all big and deep stuff so that people can hear you. Because if you do, that will be your reward. But the Bible says when you pray in secret, the God in secret will reward you openly. Is that not the word? So the Underground Railroad was behind the scenes. It started with people living in defeat. But once they went through the process, hallelujah, I feel your spirit. When they go through the process, they are now living in victory where they once were living in defeat. Give God a praise in the building. Hallelujah. And so you all, prayer is essential if I expect to be victorious and successful in life. When there is communication between two people, it is clear that they are in relationship. Think about that. I don't know if you follow the NBA, but the Orlando Magic is praying that they get a new relationship with Dwight Howard. Have I got any real sports center people in the building? Amen. The last report I saw, they said Dwight ain't trying to talk to him. His mind is on Brooklyn or L.A. He is showing them, watch this, we're not in relationship because I no longer have a desire to communicate with you. I'm gone. Communication between two people is clear that they're in relationship. And watch this, you all, since prayer is communicating with God, it suggests that there is a legitimate relationship established. The more I communicate with God, prayer serves as a literal reminder that I've been reconciled to God, redeemed through the blood of Christ, and now stand in relationship with him. Do you see that? The very fact that we can pray is a reminder that in spite of all the mess that I've done, in spite of all the times that I messed up, that because of the work of Christ on the cross, the communication has now been restored and I can be in relationship with him. You all, we must never forget how blessed and privileged we are to be able to communicate with the creator of the world. I don't care who you are in this room. It is probably unlikely that you could just call the mayor's office and get a meeting. I don't care who you are, me included, as handsome as I know I am. I know I got an amen over here. I'm sure I can't get a meeting with the mayor whenever I feel like it. But you know what? I don't care. Because if I just go to my knees, I can go to the one who created the mayor. If I go to my knees, I can go to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an awesome privilege we have. And what an incredible travesty if it is accounted unto us that as the church, we major in everything, but we minor in prayer. Hallelujah. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you that we even have this opportunity to talk to you and we know that you hear us. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to warrant having an audience with you. 
but because you loved us so much, you sent Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And through his sacrifice, you have mended the broken cord. And we now, through his blood, stand in right relationship with you. We thank you that in prayer, like in the Old Testament, we are in your presence. We thank you that in prayer, we as a church family can have deeper fellowship with one another. We thank you, Lord God, that in prayer, what is shared in secret, the blessing won't be a secret, but you will reward us openly. Help us to take our prayer lives to a whole nother level. Help us to seek you like never before. For those who may be in the room, I pray that you will give someone the faith. Someone in this room, Lord God, has been praying for so long and they have given up. They don't even know how to pray for situations that they feel like dead. I pray in the name of Jesus that you have sparked their faith again. To trust you again to come to you in prayer, knowing that you will respond. Lord, if you did it for Cornelius, if you did it for all the people we saw through the Bible, you, your word said that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that you change if not. If you did it for them, you can do it for us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I speak blessings over you today. I pray that as your prayer life goes to another level, so the results you see in your relationship with God will equally deepen and be more rich. And now may the Lord watch between you and I while we're absent from one another until he brings us together again. In Jesus' name.